Hi, everyone. Welcome to What's Your Why, a new podcast showcasing the greatness of people through their life stories. Each episode will capture insight into the lives of people just like you and I, with the intention to connect, align, and create inspiration for and with our listeners. Stay with us through our What's and Why segment, where we dive into our guest perspective with some thought-provoking questions that just might be right up your alley. I'm your host, Helen Dillon, and thanks for joining us. Now let's get into it. Be able to have honest conversation with yourself about what is authentic to you and what is not. As defined by Merriam-Webster, authenticity is stated as not false or imitation and true to one's own personality, spirit, or character. Here's my question. Is it by nurture or nature that we find it in ourselves? At Team What's Your Why, we feel this one word with such a simple definition is one of the most impactful qualities to gain, but more importantly, possess. We decided that we wanted to bring you the story of someone that we feel encompasses and represents authenticity to the fullest extent. Noelle Floyd is that person that made our vision a reality. She wholeheartedly embodies authenticity. She can define and storytell about it because it's quite simply how she leads her life. And I would hazard a guess to say, came across it by nature. Authenticity is one characteristic that will take you to greater places near and far, but it's also one of the hardest qualities to come by. Noelle allowed us to enjoy an empowering, emotional, connected, educational conversation with her, and ultimately you too. Give thought for a moment to who you might know that possesses true authenticity and how you can learn from their life, lessons, teachings, and actions. If you're drawing a blank, because as I mentioned, it can be rare, this episode is a great place to start. I can almost guarantee that before the end, you'll feel a kinship with Noelle because she's very simply one of the most authentic people I've ever had the pleasure of meeting. Enjoy, and I leave this with you. Is it nurture or nature? That whatever you do professionally can be absolutely at the core of what you're passionate about. Thank you very much for joining us. We're here with Noelle Floyd of noellefloyd.com, and we appreciate the time and effort and energy that you're giving us to talk to us about your amazing life and your thought processes behind it and how you got started with noellefloyd.com. So let me start there. Maybe you could give our listeners that are not familiar with uh, noellefloyd.com, maybe you could just give them a brief synopsis of what's it all about. Okay, the elevator pitch. Here we go. So, well, noelfloy.com started as a blog from my point of view, and um, it started as a blog with the intention of giving a very first person, you know, impression of the world of international show jumping from the inside. And then it has evolved over the last eight years. You know, it's become a, a community that represents connection and, and we really come at content from a very down to earth sort of conversational point of view. And I really came into this project, this company building this business really was with the intention of breaking barriers down of all kinds, you know? And so everything we've ever done that feels true to us, there's a few things that we've done that hasn't felt true to us. And I'm, and I'll, I hope I get a chance to talk about that. Mm -hmm. You know, we've done 
a lot of different things and we've explored digital media and other forms of business in lots of different ways. But what's true to us is that really that that endeavor to connect equestrians from all over the world in different ways and break barriers down so that connection, so to foster even more connection. And so that started with blog posts and that started with just a blog and then it became a magazine and then it became we did a creative agency and we did a subscription box and we've done a shopping platform. And now we've really found our feet um, with a product that we really all believe very strongly in, which is accessible online education with a mm-hmm. masterclass. So it's been a really fun and really explorative adventure so far. So Very good. What? Tell me what your life looked like prior to uh, the birth of NoelleFloyd.com. <laughs> well, I think like all horse girls, I, I fell in love with horses really early. I found a real deep, deep love for horses very early on. And I was quite obsessive. And I think horses gave me a permission to be obsessive. Mm-hmm. And that's really fed my whole life. Like that is a permission to be totally and completely focused and totally and completely committed. Mm-hmm. And I think horses, I mean, I am absolutely as an adult, the person that I am, because I grew up in the barn. Anything I do after anything I do as an older woman, anything that I that I speak to as, a, as, as who I am as a person is very much shaped by the fact that my childhood and my early adulthood and everything has really been shaped around Courses and everything that that asks for. So time commitments, dedication, sacrifice, focus, compassion, patience, understanding, curiosity, awareness, all those things that are required of when you are trying to be the best horse person you can. Mm-hmm. All those skills. I learned very early on that I could get myself up really early. I learned very early on that I could, you know, as a child say no to things because going to the barn all day, Saturday and Sunday, and every day after school was more important than anything else. My evolution as a rider was just like so many other riders. It wasn't particularly exceptional. I wasn't, you know, I wasn't BZ Madden. I was very passionate. I had, you know, good feeling. I had curiosity and and a desire to be better. Mm -hmm. But there are a lot of things that I struggled with as a rider that then informed so much of what we're doing and what we have done as a business. You know, I went to university, I rode, I got to go to university overseas, and then I got to explore riding in New Zealand, which was incredibly shaping. Is that where you went to university as well? Yeah. So I went to university in Canada first. I was pre-law first. Mm-hmm. And this is always a, whenever I talk to people about wh- how you find your career, I always try to share that I was someone who had been told from a very early age that you do not mix your passion with your profession. Mm -hmm. That's not something that you do. That's not something you work around. That's interesting to me. Yeah. Yeah. I come from a family of lawyers. Mm -hmm. I come from a very old family of lawyers, actually. And law is, is a big part of, of our family history. And so, and because I was precocious and, and cushy and I had a lot of the personality traits, um, it was sort of talked about very early that I would, 
probably follow the footsteps of the people in my family mm-hmm. and become a lawyer of some kind. And so I was pre-law in Canada. And then I, I actually owe it to a boyfriend who mm-hmm. said, I think you'd be amazing in business. Like, I think you have that kind of creativity that law isn't necessarily going to give you. And you're a really creative person. And I went to art school, like it's in high school, like I was sort of very multifaceted. I was a very much a jack of all trades. I wasn't a master of one. Mm-hmm. I was someone who ex- had lots of different pursuits and interests. Of course, horses were the number one. Um, and I think it was a big part of his sort of insight into me, my true self, that he was like, I think you should really explore what it is to to study business because you seem very interested in it and you seem very focused on not really doing the bar exam. Even after law school, you want to go into business. Why don't you go to business school? How did your family feel about that? They... <laughs> they, you know, they were supportive at the idea. They loved, I think, once I had shaped a plan around going to business school abroad. I think my family are very, my both my parents are immigrants to Canada. That's how they met. One of the biggest passions they share is a passion for travel. So I think they were excited at the at the idea of their daughter going outside her comfort zone and traveling and studying abroad. It was interesting to go from practical to practical. It was like, oh yeah, no, okay. So you're not going to go to law, but law school, but okay, you'll go to business school. That makes sense. And you know, every parent, I think any parent just wants their child to be, they want their child to be happy. But I think behind, like before that, they want to see their child focused. They want to see their child um, successful and independent and all these things. And so I think a lot of parents when their kids are graduating high school and going into university, they just, they want them to pick something. Mm-hmm. And there's sometimes I feel like a bit of this, um, you know, okay, 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 just pick something. But in fact, I find like the exploration of what it is that you pick is a beautiful, is that beautiful space in which you can kind of find something and take some people a long time. Mm-hmm. And I think our society tends to be like, yeah, yeah, but just pick something. And you're like, but what's the hurry? Like we're, we're around for a long time. And a lot of people, you know, they, they lily pad from one job to another because they, they, they aren't really listening to what is true to what they want to do. You know what I mean? So anyway, I went to business school. I got to ride over there, which was awesome. Going from a very North American structure, going from a a structure where, you know, you don't do, you don't really make any decisions on your own. Right. Right. um, you're kind of told you never realize until you ride in another country where it's a different culture and a different, you know, a different structure to decision making. Mm-hmm. How much in a North American structure, often, not all the time, but often, you are supervised and you are told how to make decisions. Mm-hmm. And so the opportunity to ride in New Zealand where the culture is very enterprising, very independent, very on your own, and there's none of the bells and whistles, like all the bells and whistles that we have here, they don't exist over there. Yeah. And so, you know, you're riding outside 365 days of the year. No one has an indoor arena. Right. You know, you're, and no one's got special, super special footing 
or, you know, it's really, um, I would say it's very grassroots and very down to earth. Mm -hmm. That was brilliant because, you know, you connect to so many other things when you're not really focused on all the shiny things. Yeah. So three years in New Zealand, both from an, from a university education point to a culture standpoint, to a, a horsemanship standpoint was incredibly shaping. Did you come back here after that? So <laughs> speaking of keeping to, you know, what is true to yourself, I read, this sounds so cliche, but I read The Alchemist. Oh, yeah. When I was in coming into my third year and I had, I was focused on economics. Economics was my major. <laughs> I was going to do a CFA. So I was going to be a certified financial analyst. Okay. <laughs> There's no judgment. No, but I mean, if you, if you and I were to hang out, you'd be like, what? Right. You know, people who know me, it's such a far removal from my personality. I've known you for about 30 seconds and I already agree with you 100%. I mean, it was, it was, again, it was this um, guidance, this, this, okay, you know, got to pick something. And yes, I'm an analytical person, but I don't have a passion for financials in that way. That's just not my calling. And so I read The Alchemist and I finished that book and, and it is a really beautiful book in that it's very short. It's very, I think it speaks to everybody at a different point in their life for different reasons and in, in different ways. And that's what's so beautiful about that book and that I think everyone, depending on what where you're at, it can highlight some things if you're open to it. Anyway, I read the book and I, I remember calling my, my parents. I remember exactly where I was. I remember exactly how I felt. And I remember just calling them and saying, look, I'm not going to do a CFA. I'm, I'm not going to pursue that career. I, I want to finish my, my business degree. I want to drop my economics major and I'm just going to focus on international business as my major which actually served me, served my business development really well. And I want to focus on horses as soon as I graduate. And that, <laughs> I mean, there being a long pause. That could bring me back to how did that go? <laughs> it was interesting because it didn't go as bad as I thought. Oh, good. Especially given that my, the message had been, don't ever if you love skiing, don't become a ski instructor. You know, if you love riding, don't become a riding instructor. Like don't, don't shape your career. Don't combine passion with profession. It won't go the way you think. And, you know, I had this, I had years and years and years of that message, mm -hmm. like really kind of reinforced. And despite that, I knew exactly what I wanted to do and I, and I didn't know exactly how I was going to do it, but mm -hmm. I took the first step by saying horses, not finance. Right. At least you were able to figure out early what you didn't want to do. Maybe not the end game, but it's important to maybe focus on what you don't want to do rather than maybe what you do want to do. Absolutely. And I mean, that's, I think it's a process of elimination, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, that's life. I think we go through this thing called life and, and there's so many things we do and we're like, oh, no, don't like that. Mm -hmm. And oh, that doesn't serve me. Mm -hmm. And it's sometimes we find it in a book. Sometimes you find it in a conversation. Sometimes you find it on a trip. Sometimes, you know, 
we find these things and we find these learnings about ourselves in all sorts of different ways. And so that conversation was kind of, you know, I, I always talk about life as being like, you know, we come across all these different crossroads. And that was a really important crossroad for me because it set me on a path that was so unexpected. Mm-hmm. After graduation, I went to California and I rode for um, a Canadian professional by the name of Chris Pratt. And I took two horses with me from New Zealand. And that was going to be the start of my, <laughs> my, my horse investment business, which I'll jump, to the, I'll jump to the end and tell you that it didn't go particularly well. <laughs> okay. Well, because I, I'm an optimist. Mm-hmm. I'm an eternal optimist. And so, you know, I saw the best in these two horses and I didn't have a lot of experience in picking horses and I didn't have a lot of experience in developing horses. And so it was an amazingly educational opportunity. I learned a lot both about, you know, what it is to invest in horses, what it is to import horses, what it is to like to just be at the be at the barn working and riding and not really have any other time to do anything else mm-hmm. and to recognize the deep 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 level of learning and the deep level of understanding you can get to when you're just completely and totally immersed in something mm-hmm. and so i did about a year with Chris and I went to Spruce with my mare. Mm-hmm. I think that was a big ask for her. Like we weren't doing anything. We weren't doing anything big. You know, we, she was, she was very green for her age. And so we did, I think the meter tens of the meter fifteens. And it was there that I, that I realized that there was so much about the business and so much about the, the horse world that I needed to, to learn Mm-hmm. that I needed to go, I needed to take one step further and I need to get even more outside my comfort zone and I needed to go to Europe. Oh man, and that's where the real learning started. Like, it's so funny how you're like, oh, I think I've been working pretty hard. Like, I think I've been learning quite a lot. Whew. And, <laughs> and then you're like, oh, all of that was leading up to me being able to arrive in at this place. Wow. And so, yeah, going over there, was really eye-opening and by that point I was very comfortable living abroad I was very comfortable uh, living alone abroad I was lucky I had family my mom's from Belgium so I had family there which was very grounding and that really allowed me to live what would be quite a solitary life for three years Mm -hmm. because I had family there that I could connect with when I needed to it's so tremendously helpful when you can have a support system and however that looks for you, like it can either be family or it can be your chosen, it can be your birth family, it can be your chosen family, whatever it is. When you're really outside your comfort zone, it's really helpful to kind of be able to kind of push. What I always think of is like, you know, when you're teaching a kid to walk, you know, they kind of walk a couple steps and then they come back and they, they stand next to you or they hold you. And then they maybe walk a few more steps and then they can come back to you. And then it's like, I, I see a few of my friends are having kids and they're talking about how, how helpful when a kid is kind of push, like exploring their environment. If you're there and they can kind of come back and tap and be like, okay, hey, you're here. 
And that's kind of what I did with my family there was I was able to, I was really bold and I was really, I was really kind of figuring things out as I went. And, um, I was doing a lot of driving and flying around alone. And so it would have been just a lot harder if I hadn't had my cousins and my, and my great aunt and and all these different people there to just Mm -hmm. kind of have a dinner with and be like, okay, this is my family. They're here. Yeah. I can tap them at any time, you know? Mm -hmm. So that was big. Nice. Through that process being in Europe, is that when you, I know that noellefluid.com started with a blog. Is that when you sort of discovered that aspect of what is, what did become noellefluid.com? Yeah. So I was in Spain riding young horses and I was very outside my comfort zone and a little out of my depth. You know, I hadn't really done any kind of, I'd done, I'd I'd ridden young horses and developed some horses in New Zealand, Mm -hmm. but not to, not to the extent of this. This was like, you know, riding five-year-olds and taking in and riding them meter 10, meter 15 in Spain at the, the Sunshine Tour. Mm-hmm. So, again, very outside my comfort zone. Kind of, you know, again, a little bit of I have I have done this in my time. You know, I kind of fake it until I make it. Uh-huh. And there's lots. I mean, you can dive into the whole endeavor of faking it until you make it. But I think there's a lot of things that there's thick like positives from it. Mm-hmm. And so I I was down there. I had I was making friends, and I'm lucky in that I've. I'm fortunate in that I, I, I make friends easily. Mm-hmm. I would say that was like what I was doing really well down there was making okay. friends. I said, I would, I would say I was riding. Okay. I was okay. great. I was riding. Okay. I was quite over my head and I think mentally I was very overwhelmed. Um, and I didn't have any tools to really figure that part out mm-hmm. in being down there and, and kind of, and really like needing kind of human connection to be like, okay, like, is this kind of feeling like, is this normal? Does everyone feel this? Like just complete failure when, you know, you don't have a good day. And, and through that I made, I I became friends with John Whitaker. And I think because I was such a Canadian kid, I'd grown up in, you know, riding in Langley. I, I hadn't really been raised off of the kind of the legacy of the Whitakers or I would say I was not naive, but just kind of unaware of all the kind of dynasties that exist in the, in Europe around these famous writers. Mm-hmm. And so the relationship, the friendship that I developed with John, he felt like my kind of another uncle, you know, like he just, you know, he, he likes telling stories he does actually really like telling stories. And so he just told me lots of stories. And through that experience, hearing all this stuff, I was like, there are so many girls out there like me that have never heard these stories. And some of them were so empowering or they were, you know, stories about how every writer like feels like a failure sometimes and how Mm -hmm how every writer feels overwhelmed at times and unsure and makes mistakes. And, and I think I was really drawn to this ability that stories, I always get this feeling. I start to kind of, my nervous system will kick in when I start to really tap into like authenticity. Mm-hmm. I start to get the shakes a little bit. And um, I always know that I'm, I'm getting to the good stuff. 
when I get that feeling. It's like a body feeling. Perfect. Yeah. And uh, I used to think it was a bad thing. And now, uh, now as I'm older and wiser, I can recognize it's like a good, it's a, it's a really good reaction. But anyway, I tapped into this feeling that stories told in a really pure way, in a really human to human way, could do a lot for girls like me. And it was basically like, that was really the base. It was really simple. It was, how could I get more girls to feel like this? Yeah. Feel like they're not alone, feel like there's such a big wide world of different types of riders and different types of people. And, you know, maybe you have never heard a story that resonated with you before. And then you hear that story or you could read that story and you could be like, oh, oh, you know, that light bulb. And so that's how the blog was, was founded, was this of this just pure desire to tell stories and facilitate connection in a way that only people can do, only humans to humans can do, right? Mm -hmm. People telling their truth and lots of different types of people, not just, you know, not just the big ones, not just the ones that succeed, but all everybody else. Because everybody has a story and everyone has a story to share if they're willing. Yeah. I'm interested in, you know, in our previous discussion, we said it's important to find out what you don't like or focus on what you don't like to help you find direction. Um, maybe you'll find what it is you do like. So being in Europe and being passionate about horses and making that decision and knowing that was your direction. It's interesting to me that a light bulb sort of went off and you thought about pivoting to something else or were you just trying to incorporate the blog into what you were so passionate about being equestrianism at the time? Well, I had, by that time I was kind of being like a really low level pro. Okay. And I didn't like that. Mm -hmm. And it took a lot because it's very idolized over there and it's very idolized in our community. And I did not like that life. I didn't right. like the idea of just having like a, a Ferris wheel, you call it or whatever. I didn't like this kind of rotating idea. There's no ability to connect with the horses that you had before I'd gone to Spain. I was riding for a, a Belgian rider by the name of Mark Van Dyke. And he, he does a lot of work with like Stefan Conter and, and he had, you know, a big breeding program. And so most of the horses I was, riding were stallions and 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 I loved that but I didn't have any ability to you know people made fun of me because I had all these pictures really selfies that I took with these these stallions and I would go in the stable in the stall and I would just I would just spend time with them yeah and people were like oh you're so American and I was like well first of all I'm Canadian exactly <laughs> but they were like oh you're so American you know you're so romantic and I remember at the time being like, ooh, ooh. and I remember feeling this like kind of shame, like just being like, oh, and, you know, it was really, I was in circles where it was like, it was celebrated to mm -hmm. be removed. It was celebrated to be powerful. It was celebrated to be kind of calculated and, and to speak about horses as they all, you know, they would refer to them as it's, but not him or hers. Oh. It was very admired to be like that. I now see it as like this just deep desire to be in control. 
and have a lot of power, whether it be power over horses, power over your business, power over your environment, mm-hmm. in balance. And I remember just feeling so disconnected from myself, living that life. Going into the stall and being with a horse on the ground is what I love. Mm-hmm. Being connected with a horse is what I love. Mm-hmm. I don't even care. And this took me so long to say this, but I don't even care about horse shows. I don't even care about competition. I never really enjoyed it that much. I'm mm-hmm. a competitive person. I love competing in other sports. But what I love about horses is so, so, so pure. And so it doesn't need all the bells and whistles. It's just the horse. It's just the horse. That's all literally like, and you can even bring it back down to like animals. Like I just, from the very beginning of who I am as a person, I just love animals so much. Mm -hmm. Riding horses was this incredible thing that we get to do. And it it was an incredible way in which I got to connect with an animal. People are drawn to horses because they're everything we're not. You know, they're really, they're big and majestic and they allow us to lead them. Humans have to, gosh, we have to like really learn to trust. And like, it's just, it's, they, horses are so um, wild and so like, intuitive and they're just there's such a like there's such an antithesis of us mm-hmm. and I think that's why people are so people who love horses are so drawn to them because they're just this this like they're just magic and mm-hmm. I thought that it would be admired and I wanted to be you know accepted and so I followed that pursuit to be disconnected and to just be in this business and it was one of these things that it took a long time for me to be like Actually, fuck that. Yeah. See, I told you I was going to swear. I love it. Fuck that. I don't want to live that life. And like, and again, no judgment to people who choose that. If that's something that, if that sets your soul on fire, that fills your heart, then good for you. That does not fill my heart. Right. I want to be romantic. And if that's American, I don't think that is necessarily American. I think it's just, you know, again, because I'm Canadian, I always have to tell everybody that. Right. Going back to what we talked about before, it's like you learn as much about yourself on the things that are not who you are, that are not, that you do not resonate with as much as the things that that you do resonate with. Mm -hmm. It didn't happen overnight. And again, that's why like, it's so important to learn how to listen to yourself and, and learn how to, to, to build a life for yourself that you can actually accept who you really are and part of getting to equestrian masterclass and getting to developing my business and and building the relationships that I built that helped me build my business to now was to say I want to be romantic about horses and I don't really want to partake in anything that 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 doesn't that I don't want to talk about horses as they're it's Mm-hmm. I want to talk about them as they're him and hers. I want to talk about the impact that horses have to us as human beings, not this, not this ability we have to pick these incredible, you know, and the, the you know, our ability to develop and this, this admiration for, you know, riders that, and this, it's all about the rider experience mm-hmm. and it's not about the horse and rider experience, you know, 
Um, but it took a long time for me to discover that. And I think I've only really landed on it in over the last few years. And and again, it was a combination of having separation mm-hmm. and having more work-life balance, being aware of ego. I think the writing world as a whole, I think, you know, just in the relationship you have with with this sport in the way that it's the way that it's designed. Traditionally, writers have a really interesting relationship with ego. And a lot, there's a lot of ego in competitive horse sport. Mm-hmm. And that informs a lot of decisions. And I think it also informs a lot of disconnect. And some of the most beautiful things I've ever seen in the eight years of doing this is, you know, watching riders who are just so beautiful in their horsemanship because they remove the ego, mm-hmm. you know, and the ones who lead with ego, I don't like to watch as much. Right. Those are wise words. Yeah. <laughs> but that was the same for me. The decisions I made in business and it informs so much of who we are. The decisions I made in building this business, when I made those decisions with ego, they weren't authentic. Mm-hmm. They were bad decisions. And when I made decisions based around listening and when I made decisions around going back to my why, Mm -hmm. then those decisions, they took deep root and they developed, you know, my question masterclass wasn't even my idea, but a lot of, and a lot of entrepreneurs and a lot of people like myself, they want their successful product to be their idea. Right. Equestrian Masterclass was a group decision. Equestrian Masterclass was an idea storm we did as a group. It wasn't something that I came up with in my little echo chamber of creativity, Mm -hmm. right? That's why it's such a beautiful product because its inception was the creative effort of a team rather than a single person. Accumulation and connection, all those words we like to use. Exactly. Ta-da. You had mentioned that you have made decisions that, that n- didn't feel true to you. Do you think that those decisions were the ones that maybe involved a little bit of ego or? Oh, yeah. Explain that to me a little bit. Oh, yeah. I have, I have you know, at times had a big ego. I mean, my name is, my business is based on my It's a question later on, by the way. <laughs> right? I mean, I remember trying to come up with a few different names for my business. Um, and it was, everyone said, Oh yeah, but you've got such a cool name and it's going to be from your point of view. So just be noelfloyd.com and then it'll be easy to find and it'll, you know, whatever, whatever. And so that's like kind of, it wasn't, it was as simple as that when it came mm-hmm. to deciding the name. But I think, you know, for example, when I did my first raise of investment that allowed me, which was in 2018, mm-hmm. you know, my ego was very, very much a part of the decisions I made in that first year after the raise. And I was so proud and I was kind of shot into this other level of confidence. I'm a pretty confident person in my personality. Mm -hmm. It's an interesting thing to be aware of that there is such thing as overconfidence and, um, that kind of overconfidence can lead to biting off more than you can chew, asking too much of your team, setting unrealistic goals and expectations. And so I think it's a really important dance to play between 
being aware of what is behind the decisions you're making in business and what is, what is fueling that decision. And then hoping for the best, but also preparing for the worst. Mm-hmm. And I would say that I was someone who I had to make that graduation from being a salesperson, you know, and I really facilitated an ability to make a good pitch, which is just really to kind of a pitch really, I find is really around your ability to bring someone in to help them see your point of view, to help them see your vision. I would be so bold as to maybe suggest that a pitch is based on authenticity. Yes. And people can smell it. Mm -hmm. And that's why you have to really believe it. There has to be a part of you that really believes it because I think when you pitch a vision, that person has to, especially if you're pitching to really well-seasoned investors, they have to feel it. They can't Mm -hmm. hear it. They have to feel that confidence. They have to feel that vision. And so that took me to getting my first raise, which was huge. I got to graduate into another sphere of, okay, I've built this business. I've built this blog. I'd done this magazine. I'd done the creative agency. I'd had a certain amount of experience up until that point. But to do, to, to kind of go into that evolution and to build a team around me and to hire expertise from other spaces mm-hmm. also required, you know, that was asking a lot more of me. And I would say that what's really important when you go into these new, these new places, whether it be in your writing, whether it be in your career, whether it be in life, you know, if you're going into, a, I think, a new chapter of your life that's asking a lot more of you and you're going to be, a, you know, quite a lot outside your comfort zone, I think arriving at that with humility and arriving at that with a lot of questions, a lot more questions than answers, mm-hmm. right? And I feel like I learned that in my first year and a half was I actually didn't need to have all the answers, what I needed to have was a real, you know, leadership is not about having all the answers. And leadership is not about being the smartest person in the room. Leadership is about listening and about creating space so that everyone can do their very best work mm-hmm. and everyone can speak truth, whether it be uncomfortable or not, mm-hmm. whether it be this business is not going to achieve what you want it to achieve. Mm-hmm. And again, you've got to remove a lot of, I think a lot of entrepreneurs are really, I think you're really, you really define yourself as like, you know, someone who's enterprising, someone who's built something from nothing. And that really feeds your ego. Mm-hmm. You really think that you know best. And when someone writes you a big check and someone, you know, says, I believe in your vision, I think a lot of us and me, I'm very much included in this. They think, okay, that gives me validation that I'm a really smart, creative person and that I, you know, I have big ideas and I have great things to do and I'm going to do great things. Right. Mm -hmm. In fact, I think that, a lot of that is your ego, like, like just shooting into the room and being like, see, 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 
When in fact, actually, I think what, what has, and again, I can only speak to my experience. What I say is not gospel. It's just my own experience. But what I learned was that in those moments is to acknowledge and to see your ego and to, to actually try to seek that humility, try to listen, try to, try to, instead of thinking you have to, you know, you have to come up with all the ideas and you have to, and you have to, you, know, you have to delegate all the different things, empower your team. And I mean, I, I, I really, I've learned that I have a skill in finding really smart, hardworking. I've, I've had such privilege of working with incredibly amazing, hardworking people. I've been able to pluck them from all sorts of different parts of the world and, and convince them somehow to come work for me. And, you know, what a shame it is to do that, to have these amazing people and, and then not to, not to give them all the space in the world to, to lean on their experience and their understanding and their creativity. And, you know, because everyone has amazing ideas, everybody. And I think it's important to be said that it's actually not a weakness to rely on other people. Oh, but did I think it was? Oh, and I think that most of us do. <laughs> to ask instead of to say. Mm -hmm. To say, what do you think? And to really want to hear the answer. Mm -hmm. I think so much of us feel that you win when you can do it all on your own. So at what point then did you become so self-aware? You're so self-aware, which is a compliment. And I think that that takes a lot of hard work, a lot of dedication. But the first thing is, I think it takes a realization that you need to be self-aware so that you can improve yourself personally, professionally on every level. How does that fit in? Was it always that way for you? Did it grow? Did Michael Whitaker have something to do with that? <laughs> well, Michael and John. Oh, John. Michael and John are, uh, I haven't seen them actually in a really long time. I mean, on that side note, like Equestrian Masterclass shifted my focus from being very, you know, I was so focused on the international community. Mm -hmm. And again, I was very proud of the fact that I could facilitate and foster those friendships easily. And I remember that, again, that fed my ego. I remember being like, yeah, well, I'm friends with everybody, you know, and that is who I am. That's very much a definition of who I am. And being able to see that for what it is. And yes, and there's some friendships that I'll always have. Mm -hmm. Those Claire and John are beautiful people and that will never change. I think because Equestrian Masterclass is my 100% focus, top big professionals with the big names don't serve my business anymore. I mean, what, what matters is everyday equestrians with their everyday equestrian journeys. That's, you know, that's who I'm interested in getting to know. Mm -hmm. And so, no, <laughs> Michael and John were not part of the, I mean, they were part of the journey. And I think we connected on, you know, again, it's like these, you get these little slivers and you get these little, you know, Glennon Doyle talks about them as God shots. You can talk about them. You can say whatever they are, but I think they're just these little, these moments that you can either see or not see. I connected with the reason why I was able to easily facilitate friendships you know, maybe with it at the higher international level was because I deep, deep down, I love having honest, genuine conversation. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't really matter who that person is. 
if you can just have that in, and I think people feel that, you know, again, you can smell it in someone, you can feel that like if you're talking to someone and their eyes aren't darting around and you're, you know, you're there with them. Mm-hmm. And I think in any walk of life, in any community, and maybe at the international level, because there's so much presence of ego and because it's so competitive and it's so cutthroat, authenticity and genuine conversation is like really enjoyed. Mm -hmm. And so I did have some beautiful conversations with people because, you know, they were just these little, these little moments where like time stops and you just can have that honest conversation, human to human, doesn't matter who that person is. Mm -hmm. I think self-awareness, if I'm honest, totally honest, I didn't really come to the kind of self-awareness I think I've been able to come to this year until this year. You know, I think I was someone who really thought for a long time that I would be successful and I would be considered a success if I dedicated all my time and effort into developing myself as a business person. And I developed myself in business and the sacrifice and the time and the grind and the hustle and all those things would equate success. And yes, I think that hustle and grind and and sacrifice and all these things, they matter a lot. And I think they're, you know, they, life will call you to do those things at different times for different reasons, but self-awareness and an ability to lead, I think, more with authenticity and more with um, humility and all that came from more work-life balance first. That was the first Mm -hmm. step. Second was being surrounded around people and friendships that call you and ask you to be honest with them and with yourself. And be present. Yes. And be present and to learn and and the people you are around you know, the people you are around, I even, you know, I didn't even allow myself to have, like, I met my best friend who, you know, she doesn't have anything to do with horses. You know, I have two best friends, both are, their names are Julia. Um, one Julia is very much involved in, in the horse world. And she's Julia Hargreaves, who many people know as she wrote, for, she's written for Australia at the Olympic level. And she's now a mom and she's awesome. And her and I have been friends for a long time and she's watched you know, again, her and I, our, our friendship started with horses and now our friendship has nothing to do with horses and everything right. was just being women. And my other best friend, Julia, who has nothing to do with horses, she, you know, she was the one of the first people to really invite me to, to just explore self, like to mm-hmm. really just explore yourself as what like sets your soul on fire? Like what is something that, you know, what, what is the kind of conversations you have with yourself? And so I would say that was the second step is surrounding yourself around people who ask the good questions, right? The questions, human to human questions that have nothing to do with work. And those people are the people that say you are not what you do. Well, they tell you the truth and they tell you your truth. Yes. And then the third thing would be And again, everyone, I think, comes to this at a different time in their career. But for someone who is such a workaholic and someone who prided myself in being successful, and for everyone who's listening, I'm doing air quotes, (laughs) I think is to also recognize that there is a whole other side of who you are. That when you dedicate yourself a whole, like when all your focus and your attention goes to, okay, but 
you know, Noel Floyd CEO, Noel Floyd entrepreneur, Noel Floyd, you know, digital creator, whatever, all these things. That was 100% how I define myself. And to recognize that that is only, that is not this much of who you are. That is this much of who you are. So add on to that. Now it's knowing that you've had, that you have self-awareness within the last year. So now it's Noel Floyd. Noel Floyd, the lover of animals, Noel Floyd, the friend, Noel Floyd, the daughter, Noel Floyd, the lover of life, Noel Floyd, the dancer, Noel Floyd, the mountain biker, Noel Floyd, the, I love to walk. I like the tree hugger. I'm like the ultimate tree hugger. I literally, people, and it's taken me a long time to be able to like hug trees and not care if people are passing me in the forest and just be like, yep, yeah, this is me hugging a tree. You know, it's, Noel Floyd, the oh, the yogi, the meditator, the writer, and like I, you know, like I love creative writer, um, the photographer, the you know, there were so many things, and some of those things have cross pollination into what I do. Mm-hmm. You know, it's been an invitation to see all the other things that you are. You know, and again, in the riding world, it's like in the horse world, being horse people is how we define ourselves. Mm-hmm. It is how we define the way we spend our money. It is how we define our friendships. It is how we define, literally, I have friends who are like, if my boyfriend, my fiance, my husband does not, or my girlfriend or my, you know, my wife or whoever, whatever it is, partner, if they don't support horses, if they're not willing to show up at horse shows, if they're not, you know, I'm not interested. You know, I'm a horse person. That's who I am. We put bumper stickers on our trucks. We wear mm-hmm. t-shirts. We listen everything that is absolutely all encapsulating into who we are. And I think that is beautiful and is absolutely incredible. And I think you shortchange yourself. I think it's amazing that we let ourselves, an industry, define who we are. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you see it in so many different places within the industry, but you know, you can tell that someone is like, they stand in front of you and they, their worth begins and ends with the riding boots they have on the show jacket that they're wearing, the sponsorships that they have, the horses that they have and the success that they, and when you define your self-worth and your self-love by all these external factors, then that is what leads to unhappiness. That's why we have as much mental health struggles in the riding world as we do in any other walk of life. We are no less or no more satisfied. Satisfied because we have, you know, again, and riding is like, because it's such a lifestyle, it's such a wake up from dawn till dusk. It can absolutely define you. And it can absolutely set every single hour of every single day for you if you want it to. And that gives you an ability to not look inward. It has Mm -hmm. an ability for you to look completely and live completely externally and to pursue everything externally. And it's not not unique to the horse world. It's just, you know, it's an easy thing to happen because it is like an all, it's an all or nothing world. You talk about adult amateurs who are like at work and they've got like their horse stuff everywhere. And they're like, this is who I am. And I'm just working so that I can ride. Mm-hmm. You know, and that is a beautiful, beautiful, like it's, it's a beautiful focus to have. And I would be lying to tell you if it did not define, you know, my, I was 
so fortunate to have that type of focus as a teenager because it kept me out of trouble. Right. I have an aptitude for, I think I, as a teenager, I would have, I had such an aptitude for getting into trouble. You know, I think my parents were so grateful that I could only get into so much trouble because at the end of the day, I still needed to be at the barn every day after school, sometimes before school, and then every, you know, all day, every day on the weekends. Mm-hmm. So they were like, oh, thank God. She, you know, <laughs> she can only really get into this amount of trouble because she's, you know, she's still completely and totally focused on horses. There comes a point and I've, and it's been really beautiful to see like some of my friends and some people and, and we're, you know, and again, Caroline, my editor in chief, oh God, she's just, she's like the editor in chief of my, of my life. She's like, you know, she's someone who, again, invited me to have these kind of conversations Mm -hmm. and, you know, we're releasing a body of essays in the new year, all around normalizing mental health struggles in the horse world. And these are the types of conversations that allow for people to see that, first of all, the things you're experiencing are not unusual to you. Mm-hmm. You know, the human experience is universal, whether you have riding boots on or not. Mm-hmm. So that need for connection, that need for support, that need for to be able to ask questions and to hear answers and that ability to that need for awareness around ego and that awareness around self-love and compassion. Those are not unique to the hippie dippies. You don't need to be wearing tie dye and going to yoga retreats in order to these things self-love. Like it's what's so beautiful about the kind of shift we're seeing this year and the kind of shift we're seeing globally and systemically. The conversation is starting to happen like, you know, more mainstream. Mm-hmm. Oh, wait a second. These conversations are really helpful for everybody. And what we just talked about made me think of something that I think is such an important correlation to draw on when it comes to horses and when it comes to our life with horses. So I'm going to finish this rant. <laughs> Continue. <laughs> Which is the best horsemen I think I've ever seen. People who who seem in symbiosis with with the animals the horses that they're working with people who feel truly like connected are people who have a deep connection with themselves you know i think the things that i've seen in the competitive horse sport the things that make me uncomfortable the things that make me upset when i see those things i see ego i see a lack of empathy. When I realized in this journey that I I just want I just want everyone, I want every single rider to just find that contentment and find that compassion and be kind and not not feel entitled mm-hmm. to more than the horse that they have, to be present, to like stop being frustrated at these horses you know, who are just doing their best or trying to figure out what you want or whatever. You know, it's such an interesting thing we've created to, to ride horses, to ride horses in competition, to ride horses for pleasure. It's such a, it's such a beautiful thing. And it's such a like, it's, you know, in some ways it's like against nature. Yeah. And in its pure state, it's so beautiful. And the thing that sometimes keeps me up at night is like, how can we get more people to just just lead with like love just just get up and 
see the horse that you have the beautiful fortune of, of either riding or having or or whatever and to not you know how do we get rid of all the entitlement that that then causes excessive whipping or you know poor use of draw reins or you know the things that i see that i'm like just it, like it feels like it's like ri- like ripping my soul apart like i'm like mm-hmm. is something it is like against nature what i'm watching how do i not look away how do i how do we how do we stop that mm-hmm. you know and i'm not the fei i'm not i don't feel like i'm called to like create you know a news platform to like whistle blow on all the bad things that happen in the world like i feel like it's more beneficial to lead with okay how do we what is what is part i'm such a solution based person that I'm like, okay, what is the solution? Not what's the problem, what's the solution? Mm-hmm. And to me, one of the things, it's not like a A plus B equals C kind of equation, mm-hmm. but one of the things that I feel is going to help and one of the things that I've come to learn is the more the more compassion and self-love and empathy and, and genuine conversation we can have amongst ourselves because again, it's not, you know, it's not people with horse problems, it's horses with people problems. Mm -hmm. And that's the, like the, like the essence of everything is what we're trying to do asks a lot of ourselves and asks a lot of horses. And if you can lead with understanding and patience and presence and, and compassion, you're going to be happier. And that's what all anyone ever wants, right? Like everyone's doing this thing, this either going to the Olympics because they think it's going to make them happy or they're busting their ass on three jobs so that they can support their love for riding so that they can, you know, they can be happy. And wouldn't it be insane if everyone just found that happiness in their equestrian journey in just whatever they're doing right now? Like it doesn't have to be what you can get to. Like I'm all for progress and it's so empowering and, and fulfilling to make progress with a horse in that way. And wouldn't it be beautiful if it was enough? If what you were doing was enough, if what the horse was doing was enough, you know, if everything was just enough that you weren't entitled to more than you've been given. And don't you think that that stepping out of equestrianism, people just maybe need to realize that what they're doing period is enough. Their presence is enough. Exactly. And again, it's like it, so it comes full circle. It's this horse people are no less or no more unhappy than everybody else, yet their unhappiness is directly connected to their ability to connect and be compassionate horse people. And so all of a sudden I realize, oh, wait, if I can, okay, we can create education courses. And we can help people get the knowledge that they need to, to be informed, you know, like in parenting, it's, I imagine it to be the same. It's like, you want to have a certain amount of understanding and knowledge about proven techniques in child rearing. That's going to help you be the best parent you can be. But if you're unhappy, Mm -hmm. if you're fundamentally deeply unhappy, that is going to reflect how you parent a child if you are deeply and fundamentally unhappy that is going to deeply affect the way that you ride horses 
manage horses, care for horses, all those things. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it's welcoming that conversation of like, you, it is worth finding out how to be happy so that you can show up every day as your most understanding, loving person so that that horse that didn't, you know, they don't have any conscious choice as to where they find themselves. So they do the very best with what they're given in their life. And so it's like, wouldn't it be great if you could just show up your best self and then be like, what happens today is enough for me. And insert self-awareness. Exactly. Full circle. (laughs) This is really deep emotional talk, but I think that this year especially Mm -hmm. has asked everyone, no one gets to get on a plane and run away from their problems. No one gets to go out and rot and, you know, and socialize with all their friends and hide and run away from their problems. This year, COVID has forced everyone to be as introspective as they can. And it makes people really uncomfortable. A friend of mine said very recently, it's given us all an opportunity to take pause. And I would go so far as it's given us all the privilege to take pause. Because I really feel that way. Absolutely. It's a gift. If you look at it that way, everyone's like, oh, this is the worst. Oh, my God. Like, Which it is. There's that aspect. Yeah, it's horrible. It is affecting people's lives. It's affecting people's health. Mm-hmm. And if you're in that fortunate group of people that have not been at the bedside of people in the hospital, they have not watched people. You know, those are horrible things that we all wish weren't happening. Mm-hmm. And the you know the the pause or closure of horse shows the the pause you know people not being able to do all these sorts of things and it being people feeling like it's the worst thing in the world losing their jobs all these things these are horrible things and it removes a lot of noise mm-hmm. if you can take the opportunity to not busy yourself and really just be here and now Mm-hmm. And that it's it's unco- but it's uncomfortable. I mean, it's uncomfortable for me. It's uncomfortable for everybody, for sure. Would you say that you're a brave person? Yes, I would. <laughs> Again, this is like part of. I read a I read a quote the other day, which I loved because I've I, this year has been a lot about understanding the difference between, and I got to pull it up because I, I don't want to get it wrong. Mm-hmm. But when, when you asked me that question, old Noel would have been like, yes, I do. And I would have kind of found a way of dancing around, making sure that you felt that I was humble enough in that assurance that I'm brave. Mm-hmm. And so this, this Maya Angelou quote, Angelou quote is modesty is a learned affectation. You don't want modesty, you want humility. Humility comes from the inside out. And so just to like expand on when you ask me if I'm brave, I do think I'm brave or I feel I'm brave. And it's nice to say that and not feel that, Ooh, is that mm-hmm. too confident? Is that too, am I being too? Because to feel that difference in I'm brave and I, and I hold that with humility. I hold that with, you know, that, that groundedness. Mm. 
of knowing that that is part of who I am. That's not defi- that does not define me. That doesn't feed my ego. That doesn't make me better than everybody else. And yes, I'm brave. Do you think that having bravery and being brave is an important aspect to entrepreneurial development? Old me would say yes. And new me would say, I don't know. I think that bravery comes in lots of different forms. It doesn't have to be in your face to be there. I think you can be brave and you can be brave on little micro levels, not just macro levels. I think being an entrepreneur, it helps if you're brave and you're bold. But not necessary. But it's not, it's not necessary. I think we're told it's necessary and therefore it weeds out people who don't think they're brave. But I think, you know, I've, I've been lucky to have parents that have told me that I'm a strong person, that I can do hard things. Mm -hmm. And so am I brave because I'm, because that's who I am? Or am I brave because I was told that I could be brave, that I was given permission Mm -hmm. to be brave? I had riding instructors who didn't panic when I fell off. They're like, let's get back on. It's okay. Mm-hmm. Are, are we brave because of all the people around us give us permission to be brave? Or are we brave because that's how we're born? That's a good question. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know the answer. In your development with noelfloyd.com, did you ever feel as though you were lost in the process with the growth of your business? It sort of changed and moved a few times through the years, developed, I guess, is a better word. Did you ever get lost in that or feel a little lost? I didn't feel lost. I sometimes felt like I was maybe going down a road that either was a dead end or was going to a destination I didn't want to go to. Mm -hmm. Like doing the creative agency and helping writers build websites and manage their social media and manage their PR. It was something I could do, but it felt like it was a bit of a dead end. Mm-hmm. And I was like, I don't really feel like I'm making much of a difference right? doing that. And again, sometimes you do things in business. And again, it's, it's, it's allowing and accepting that sometimes in business, we just do things to pay bills. And that was something I very much did to pay bills. I did not do because it fed my soul or I felt like that passionate about managing um and doing pr and and creative work for the top writers no i did not i did not i did that purely to build my business um and it was a it was a helpful step in that way and then you can look at it as that i think you know there are times that i've done you know like when we did the shopping platform i think that was that developed into something that was very disconnected from the why of noelfloyd.com and the why behind what I started, what I came out to do. And so I haven't felt lost, but I've definitely had moments where I was like, this doesn't feel connected to the why behind why I'm doing this. It must be an easier conversation to have with yourself knowing that your brand is your name. Yeah. Oh my God. Like, <laughs> this doesn't feel connected to noelfloyd.com. 
Well, and that's an interesting thing into itself because, you know, there was a time in which I stopped competitive riding. I stopped, I stopped putting on riding boots every day. And then I was like, am I even allowed to still do this? Like if I'm not a rider every day, does that mean that people aren't going to want or not going to be interested in the ideas I have for the space? Like, it's just such a fascinating thing. When you put your name on something, you literally put your birth name on something. Mm -hmm. It creates a lot of internal conversation around things. Again, I think there are times in which I felt like, you know, and that's where I wanted to, to anyone who's listening, you know, to know that you can stop at any point and turn around. You can stop at any point and be like, no, 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 no. This is not the direction for me. And to turn around. Will it be uncomfortable? Yes. Will it be disruptive? Yes. Will you disappoint people? Will people be mad at you? Yes, they will. And just because they're mad at you or just because people are upset does not mean it's not the right decision. Mm -hmm. What's the most important lesson or skill that you can share with people about building your own brand, really? That's a hard question. I know, they're stumpers. The most important, mm-hmm. let's say that again. Yeah, what's the most important lesson or skill that you can share with people about building their own brand? Be able to have honest conversation with yourself about what is authentic to you and what is not. And listen to the authentic answer. Mm-hmm. Because if you can have authentic conversation with yourself, you can have authentic conversation with others. Mm-hmm. And I think that's really important in any walk of life. Building your business is, you know, building a brand is, you know, one of those things that I think asks that of, of people. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned a couple things about the direction that you're going in for 2021. So just some quick questions. How many people are employed with you right now? Five, including me. Five? Yeah. And I'm interested to know how long it was just you. Three and a half years. I worked. (laughs) Yeah, it was three and a half years before I could hire my first person, which I realize now is like a long time to work on something on your own. Well, yeah, 24-7, three and a half years. That's if nobody can see my face, but it was one of aghast. (laughs) Um, It was also the the first time I took time off. I didn't take a day off for three and a half years, which is, by the way, for people who are listening, that is not permission to do the same thing. Please don't. Don't do that. That does not success make. You know, I think I... I am very confident in my ability to dig deep and work hard. Mm-hmm. And that is one component that can lead to success. And it is an important component at times because building a business will ask you sometimes to work above and beyond. And I was able to do that. Mm-hmm. And it's going to ask a whole lot of other things from you, you know, not just that. But I hired my first editor to kind of share the writing workload. And I had written 3,165, I think is the number of articles myself. Wow. (laughs) In three years, three and a half years. And then at year five, I then did my first raise 
And and in between year three and year five, I was able to hire like interns and other writers and other photographers. Mm -hmm. And they were all sort of freelancers, independent contractors. But we had a bunch of people contracted, which was great. And very, you know, I was really grateful for their, we had some amazing people. And then uh, when I did my first raise in 2018, we had 10 people. Mm -hmm. And that's when we had the subscription box the shopping platform, the gated content, which then became the educational content. And we had the magazine. So we had a, there was a total of 10 people. With a lot of facets to your business. With a lot of facets, a lot of good things going on. Yeah. So do you just decide one day out of exhaustion that you need help? Or what does that look like when you're like, oh, I, I think I'll give somebody else an opportunity to share in this workload? Or was it just, my goodness, I'd love a day off. No, it's money. I mean, it's, it's, I didn't have the money. I didn't have the revenue Mm -hmm. to hire someone else. So it's usually, I think when you're building, when you have a startup, it just comes down to money. Mm -hmm. It comes down to being able to have the resources to hire someone else. I think also you come to a point when you've built something yourself where you realize that if you want to go beyond, if you have big visions, you need whole team of people you know Mm -hmm. you want to build something big you need more than yourself to do that so that was always your intention to build something bigger than what it was yes yeah okay definitely I didn't know how that always looked and I would say that like you know you don't have to have a perfect vision of what you're building from the outset because it will evolve and it will change. You know, sometimes the future looks kind of like, you know, the, the mirror does when you've had a shower. Like you can kind of see the outline, but you can't mm-hmm. see all the definition. And then sometimes you can see a clear reflection of what it's going to be and what it's going to look like. And sometimes that comes to be, and sometimes it completely and totally changes. And that's okay. That's actually, you know, now in, in doing this, I'm in my eighth year of doing this you actually come to invite that, that evolution, that change. You actually come to invite the things that you can't expect, the things that are not within your imagination. You know, that, that I never imagined that we would be doing online education courses. I never imagined that a global pandemic would allow growth in online education for equestrians more than ever. I never imagined that I would go through big changes in my own personal life that would allow me to understand how important the emotional experience of equestrians is in creating the kind of community that I want to create and the kind of conversation I want to create. Like there's a reason why we can't see too far into the future. Mm -hmm. Did you ever have any business coaching or entrepreneurial coaching? That might be too sensitive a question, but yeah, I have. My father was a big mentor of mine and remains always someone I can talk to if I have a question in terms of, like, there's so many different things I didn't expect to, you know, manage. I didn't imagine having a board of directors. I didn't imagine having investors. Like, I didn't imagine running investor reports, uh, year-end financials, imagine taking a company public, all those kind of things. I never, like, imagined. So he's helped a huge amount. Mm-hmm. he's very generous a person in sharing his knowledge and experience 
So I'm very grateful that I get to have, I've had a lot of really amazing people, him included, that have always answered the phone, always answered emails, always sat down with me for coffee and given every bit of advice and insight that they can think of. But yeah, absolutely. And I would highly advise anyone if you're, you know, building a business or whatever you're doing, whatever it is, whether you're want to become a professional writer, whether you want to be a mom, whether you want to be a lawyer, whether you want to have a podcast, whatever you're doing, I highly, highly, highly advise having mentors. You know, I think Mm -hmm. mentorship is, you know, a beautiful thing to have someone who has a lot of experience and, and typically in mentorship, someone who's older than you and someone who has, can bestow upon you their lessons. Gosh, is that a gift? Yeah. Do you feel like your education, uh, obviously it helped you become what you are, but do you tap into what you actually learned in college or university? Does it correlate to what you're doing now? Does it help you move through the growth of your business? Honestly, no. I mean, I think university is a, is an awesome life experience that if you want to do it, I think it's an amazing, I think it teaches you time management and it teaches you commitment and it teaches you, it, you know, it allows you to be probably sometimes for most of us for the first time, like just amongst your peers and not with your parents or any older people within your family. It allows you to live alone or live away from, you know, it's, it's, I think it's a big life experience. I think it also, a university degree often gives people permission to believe that they can do something, Mm -hmm. you know, but in business and I mean, okay, if you're going to be, I think university is an important stepping stone for a lot of professions. You know, if you're going to be a lawyer, you've got to go to law school. It's really hard to be a lawyer or a doctor or, you know, a dentist or these things that require a huge amount of knowledge and study. You know, there's a lot of things in life that require university. I also, it's a, it, to me, and very important for people who are listening to this to know that you do not need a business degree to build a business. You do not, you know, I think doing a business degree just gives you some people and it gave me the permission to believe that I could build mm-hmm. a business. But I'd say all the skills that have been required of me thus far are things I've either learned, you know, a lot of skills that I've been asked to have in doing in building this business are skills I, I, I developed by being a writer. I think being a, a writer and growing up as a kid in a, in a barn is like a huge character forming experience. I mean, I'll be stoked if my kids, my future kids have a passion for horses because I think it's a, like it just, I think most parents are like, Oh, awesome. I don't have to do some time management. I don't have to teach them how to get up early. I don't have to teach them how to hard work. I don't have to teach them how to clean. I don't have to teach them how to organize. I don't have to teach them how to look after something else. I don't have to teach them how to be selfless. I don't have to, I mean, there's so like the list is like endless. Yeah. But I think building a business and doing business, you need to have a certain amount of emotional maturity. And again, going to university is an emotional experience as much as an education experience. If you were to build a business and you don't want to go to university or university is not your calling and it's not for everybody. And I would certainly say it's definitely not a reflection of whether you're intelligent or whether you're hardworking or not. Mm -hmm. 
I would go and work and I would go learn from people who are doing what you want to do. If you want to work in a particular industry, try a bunch of different jobs, you know, because that's one thing that this, this business allowed me to do. I got to do pretty much every single job that exists in my business before I hired someone for it, Mm -hmm. including, (laughs) including photography, including editing, including I may shot the first, I shot like of the first four covers of my magazine. I shot two of them. I am not someone who should be shooting the cover of a magazine, but I did it because I had to, because I couldn't afford to pay photographers to shoot the cover of my magazine. And I wanted to have a magazine. And so I just, I kind of faked it until I made it. And I, and I made sure there were lots of really skilled assistants at that shoot. But I think being able to do lots of different jobs and explore lots of different facets of yourself professionally is a really nice stepping stone. Do you feel like you're uh, constantly analyzing your business at this point, where it's at, analyzing where it's at, where it's going, how you want to pivot or move or migrate to? Is it sort of an analytical state? Yeah, I would be, it would definitely be someone, I'm quite an analytical person. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I'm constantly assessing performance metrics. I'm constantly looking at projections and establishing, you know, our growth and what kind of growth that means for next year and what is a healthy amount of growth and what is a sustainable amount of growth and, and what is, you know, for sure, you're always, but that's the way that I choose to run my business. I think I, I come at it from a very analytical point of view and my board of directors are all, they're very analytical people. Mm-hmm. So it facilitates an analytical point of view, but then none of the people who, you know, most of the conversations we're having as a company are not always analytical. They're more human. Mm-hmm. We have a deep connection to our customer service and, you know, we're having, we're facilitating conversations all the time. So I would say that when you, at this stage in my business, it's as much about, you know, I think a lot of, a lot of building a business, especially a digital one does come down to data. And I would say that I would highly, I mean, depending on the business that you you run, but data is really, can be really helpful, but data also comes in qualitative and quantitative forms. Mm -hmm. So I would say it's important to have both. Are you still super involved with all aspects of everything or, you know, you've hired people and put them in place. Do you oversee it? Are you involved with it? Sort of what's your, what's your role? Oh no. I mean, well, I, my role is officially CEO and founder. So my role falls in line with CEO and founder of a business is a lot like you can say a lot like being captain of a ship. Mm-hmm. So you're managing the people on your ship as much as the ship itself. So you are tapping into how each person can do the best work they can do. It's not about your job as much as it is about everyone's job. It's about navigating the ocean that you're on. And you're thinking about a lot more than just the, you know, the business. If the business is the ship and the ocean is the market and, you know, and your destination is whatever goal you have for that business mm-hmm. and the people on it are the people who work for you then you're managing all of those things and you're trying to establish a certain symbiosis between the market, your business and the people who work for you and the work that's being done. So 
you know, I personally, the way that I manage, I have one-on-one meetings with everyone who works for me every week. And I, I would say that that's something I would highly recommend because you want to be able to, one of the things, one of the big lessons that I learned was you want to be able to have a deep relationship with everyone who works for you, not so that they can tell you all the good things. You want them to be able to tell you all the bad things too. You want mm-hmm. to be able to develop a connection and a trust so that someone can tell you, I don't think that's a good idea. Mm-hmm. And that requires a certain level of intimacy because people, and especially like for me, I learned through my career that people don't like to tell me what I don't want to hear. I even had clients. Really? You know, when I had a creative agency. I even had professional writers not want to actually tell me what I didn't want to hear. That's the type of, that's a certain person, part of my personality is, mm-hmm. you know, people don't always want to tell me something I'm not going to want to hear. So in order to be a really good leader, you have to be able to facilitate uncomfortable conversation. You have to be able to let people tell you something that's going to disappoint you. Mm-hmm. Because if you can't, if you have a blind spot and we all have blind spots, if you have a blind spot in a part of your business or if you have a blind spot in something that you're doing, it's very important that you have the kind of company culture where someone can say, stop, stop. This is a bad idea. We're going down a bad, you know, I don't think this is a good idea, you know? Mm -hmm. So that's one way in which the other way is, I think at different times, like we are going to be filming Um, our courses for 2021 in January. And so I try to come to at least one, one production trip a year and to be on the ground, to talk with talent and to oversee the production of that, of those courses. Mm -hmm. And to just be on the ground is really important. I think, you know, you want to be able to talk to everyone at some point, whether it be your customers, whether it be, in, in, in our case, when it comes to building and forming an educational experience for equestrians online, you want to be able to talk to your customers. You want to be able to talk to your talent. You want to be able to talk to the community. You want to talk to people who are not customers. You want to talk to people who just read your blog, people who just listen to your podcast, people who work for you, people who want to work for you. I mean, talking to everyone, they're all, they all have something they can teach you. Mm-hmm. Who would you say is your bigger supporter? Oh, my, oh, my team, my board, my investors, my friends. Mm -hmm. I'm very fortunate. I have an amazing support system, you know, both personally and professionally. I have an amazing support system. The people who work for me that I have the privilege of working with are, you know, they believe in me and they believe in what we're doing. And I believe in them. My <laughs> my board and my investors were amazing, especially through my education. You know, I was a very overly confident, very bold person when they invested in me. And they said all at different times that they invested in me. They wrote that check for me, to right. me. Like they wrote that check. They were investing in me as a person. And they believed that I would eventually get to that place of product market fit. They believed I would eventually get to that place of having the business that I wanted. So I'm very grateful for that. 
What's the biggest industry challenge that you feel like you face now? I would say that a lack of curiosity would be, I think, pursuit of knowledge is an important component in the horse industry. And I think some people are not as curious. Mm -hmm. They might not be motivated by being the best that they can be. And I hope that we can create conversation to invite everyone to be the very best that they can be. And however that looks Mm -hmm. to, to really want to improve and learn more and more if that is served by online education, then amazing. You know, that's super great for us because that's, that's what we're involved in. But I would say that as a, as a community, that would be, you know, something I would wish for the whole of the riding world to just be, to never think that you've arrived, you know, to never think that you are done learning. Mm-hmm. And in, I think entitlement would be, I think, a big roadblock that I see exists within the riding world. That to think, and I mean, entitlement is not just unique to the riding world. Right. We see it because that's you know where the three of us work is in is and we interact with the people in in the horse world. I would say entitlement is a big block. It's just a block. It like it keeps you from so much more. To feel like you are entitled to certain things, to feel like you're entitled to a clear round or you're entitled to a blue ribbon or you're entitled to a better horse or you're entitled to more money or you're in whatever. You're entitled to nothing. You are entitled to nothing. The world owes you nothing. The world owes you nothing. Your horse owes you nothing. Just because you pay their bills doesn't mean, just because you pay to keep them in a super bougie barn or you buy them all the brand new stuff or you whatever, they don't owe you. They're not your, like, they are not your slave. Mm-hmm. They're your partner. You don't, you don't go into a romantic relationship being like, you owe me. I'm entitled to your love. I'm entitled to you to show up as your best self every day. Mm-hmm. I'm entitled to your commitment. I'm entitled to your loyalty. I, I don't know. And again, I mean, I'm not, I'm not Brene Brown. I'm not Tara Brock. I'm not these like people who are experts in the human condition. I'm a student. I'm trying to learn more about the human condition. So I would say that at this point in my life, I think that entitlement is a huge block. And if you rock up at the barn every day and you look at your horse and you're like, you owe me. Good luck. Good fucking luck with that. You will just hate every single moment because it won't, if you feel entitled to something, then you feel like it's owed to you. Then you arrive at this, like, that's a gross entitlement is a icky feeling and it doesn't feel good. Mm Mm-hmm. It doesn't help you be present. I've been, in, I have, I have like bathed in entitlement in my lifetime. I have had horses and been like, you know, frustrated with them that they're not doing something. And it, this, the thought and the feeling and remembering what that feels like feels so gross. Mm-hmm. 
It's a gross feeling. And the sooner you can exercise it from your being, the happier and more content you will be in this beautiful opportunity you get to to even have a horse, to even care for something like that, to even be for that to be part of your life. So to arrive, to just, I would say entitlement is like a big block that I just see keeping everyone from like being so much more content and present Mm -hmm. in what they're doing with their horses. So what personal characteristics do you think helped you throughout your business journey so far? Not entitlement. A couple (laughs) others. Being curious, being, for me personally, being curious, being brave, being bold, listening to your gut. That's a big thing. Mm-hmm. trusting your gut, trusting other people, assuming that people will do their best work for you. Don't assume that they won't. I really believe every person I hire that they will do the best work for me until they don't. And then if they don't, or they end up not being the best fit for a job or something like that, then you're like, oh, okay. And that's not you know necessarily, and I don't begrudge them either. I think it's really important not to be like, I'm firing you like you suck at your job it's like well no it's not that's not what it's about it's nothing personal I would say also be this is not something that comes easy to me but I try really hard is be patient Mm -hmm. don't dive in the deep end like something my father always told me to do and it's like some of the best advice that he's ever told me And I've not always done it. That's the thing is that like, we can be told something from a very early on age, we can be mentored to be a certain way. And you don't always show up that way. And that's okay. Mm -hmm. My dad told always told me to tell the truth. So you don't have to remember some lie that you told like a million years ago, just like tell the truth, even if it's uncomfortable, just tell the truth. You know, it's just it's so much easier to be honest than it is to be dishonest. Um, at the end of the day, he told me to not be too greedy. Business decisions made out of greed will never, ever, ever serve your business long-term. And again, I have not always followed these things. I have been dishonest. I've, I've told, I've pitched people on something that I don't believe to be true. I've been greedy before, you know, and again, and it did exactly what he said. And I would say crab, crab walking is something that I think is like a beautiful metaphor because crab walking is something that is so important in business. You need to like, you know, you have to crab walk your way into something. You can't just like dive in the deep end. Anytime I dove in the deep end, it didn't work out. I wasn't able to like figure things out fast enough. Mm -hmm. You know, I just sunk to the bottom. Mm -hmm. Starting slowly and then giving yourself permission to be patient and let something you know, gradually grow and evolve. It allows something, and this is something like I've always felt, is a business is not who you are. A business is like its own person. Mm -hmm. Imagine like you start a business and eventually the business is not connected to you. It's like a different, it's like a thing. It has its own, like its own heartbeat. And that business you build might evolve into something you never imagined. And if you crab walk your way, you might find yourself at a destination you didn't expect. Mm-hmm. That's the destination that was destined for that business. 
Mm-hmm. And you have to allow it. You have to remove yourself from the equation. And it's not, you are not going on this journey. Business is going on this journey. It's its, its own, it's its own entity with its own personality. And that was like, what was such an interesting you know, when I did the initial raise and I hired all these people and we went on our first our first team retreat and to get to know everyone and, and we had everyone fly here. We went to the Sunshine Coast and the first thing, one of the first things we did was I was like, okay, I want to talk about Noel Floyd as a company, not Noel Floyd as a person. Noel Floyd as a company. We're going to talk about that as if she is a person mm-hmm. and all the characteristics that are unique to her and that's not necessarily to do with me. And that was important. And that's what's hard to do when you name a business after you, when you're like, when the business is your name. I was going to say. But that's an interesting dance. It's not impossible, but it's a little bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. But it's an important thing to do, I think. It's an important exercise to allow a business to not keep pulling it back to yourself and be like, yeah, but this is a full reflection of who I am. No, 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 no. That business is going to eventually, it's going to feed other people's families. It's going to hire other people. It's going to fulfill other people's professional goals. It doesn't, it eventually doesn't become all about you. We started this by you uh, telling us that you had been taught a great lesson from early on that don't make your passion your provocation. Don't make your passion your livelihood. So I'm interested to hear how you might rewrite that teaching now, knowing what you know. I would say that whatever you do professionally can be absolutely at the core of what you're passionate about. I would invite anyone, you know, listening, I would invite you to, to do that. It's, it's a, it can be scary and it can piss a lot of people off because I think certain systems in the world can want everyone to walk a really linear line and that's a lot cleaner and easier for everyone to understand. I would invite you to walk the line that you feel is truly and completely authentic to you. And that can be messy. That can be unexpected. And your life and your career, though very different and separate and also together, are completely and totally unique, beautiful, and rare to you. Mm-hmm. If you invite yourself to live an authentic life and live the life that is authentic to you, I think passion will inevitably find itself at the center mm-hmm. of what you do. If you are fortunate enough to have passion at the center of what you do, then getting up in the morning is just, it's such a, it's a different exercise. It's like getting up in the morning is scary and, and fun and, exciting and daunting and you know all the human emotions not just the good ones because I can tell you it won't be just the good ones Mm -hmm. there will be days where you get up and you're like oh my god like I don't want to do this I like just I just wish I just did a normal you know I just did a why can't I just like you know I don't know work at Lululemon as as a sales rep or something you know I've thought that many times I've been like god it would be so much simpler if I just sold yoga pants and had a rescue horse and just, you know, had, and 
there's lots of times you're going to feel that way. I guess when you realize that the the alternative way that you feel when you wake up outweighs that way, then you're on the right track. Yeah. And being daunted or being scared or is also going to mean I'm brave because I've been absolutely terrified in my life. Mm-hmm. I'm bold because I've been, I've been timid and I've not spoken my truth. I think like every human emotion has a counterweight. Mm-hmm. The braver you are is your ability to dive into fear. You know what I mean? It's like, I would say the full spectrum of emotion is important Mm -hmm. for any person. You know, another thing you kind of need, I think in building a business of any kind is emotional agility. You need to be able to sit in the uncomfortable. You can't be like happy all the time. Right. People are exhausting. If someone's like, I'm 90% all the time, I'm like, first of all, you're lying. Yep. <laughs> you know, and like one of the best things I ever did in terms of like building good, strong company culture was like to show up one day with a red face because I had been crying. And it was one of the most beautiful and to cry in front of my team. And like, I'm an ugly crier. Like I like, full, like, <laughs> like, like, full, you know, and I remember Allie, who's our head of social media, like I, she had just come on the team and she was just like deer in the headlights, like, Oh my God. But Christina and Doug, Christina was my COO and she's one of my like very close friends now as a result of everything we've been through. And Doug, who is my head of marketing and just like one of also my, one of my really good friends, like I'm good friends with everyone who works for me and has worked for me. Mm-hmm. Uh, minus, you know, not everyone that I've worked with is my good, good friend, but like a huge percentage of them are. And I remember them telling, telling me like, you have to show how scared you are. You have to show how stressful this raise is. You have to show people how exhausted you are, mm-hmm. that you don't have to have it all figured out all the time. And as soon as I did that, I like my, like everyone just like, like they just wrapped right around me and I had this like circle like my whole team was like this like all of a sudden you know I felt like I was just so I was just tired and I was like tired of being constantly optimistic and I was feeling not optimistic and as soon as and as soon as I I I showed that to everyone and I was like I don't feel like I'm like I just I remember just crying in front of everyone in our office Mm -hmm. and you know, and like, God, I mean, this is a whole topic unto itself, but like professionally women are told like, don't cry. Don't, you know, I was told like, don't be emotional. Don't, oh my God, bullshit. Anyone who tells you that, tell them, anyone ever tells you, if you're a female entrepreneur, you're someone in business and people tells you, don't bring your emotion to work. Don't be emotional. Don't cry. Tell them to fuck off. (laughs) Your emotion is what makes you that's what makes you like my emotion, my ability to be emotional is what makes me good at what I do. Mm-hmm. And like, women who lead with emotion are good leaders. They're not bad. Don't be a man. Don't be an, a robot. Be a be woman. You. Be you. You know what mm-hmm. I mean? And, at the t- and I cry sometimes when I'm frustrated. I cry when, when I, I feel the whole spectrum of emotion and that's who I am. And that's what, and that's what allows me to lead 
with, with, and be bold and be brave and be big. Like I'm a big person. I'm a big personality. I don't have to make myself smaller to make me more palpable to everybody. Mm-hmm. But that is so something we're told often as women in female experience, we're told like, you know, can you just, can you just be a little less? Could you just, you know, like I didn't shave my, I want, I've always wanted to shave my head. I didn't shave my head because I thought the writing world would be like, Whoa, what the hell? Noel? are you becoming like, what are you going to go join a, like a Buddhist temple now? I'm like, no, I just want to, I just want to know what it feels like to, to not be hide my, hide myself behind hair. I just want to like be me. Mm-hmm. There's so many things we're told to just like fit, you know, fit into this, this, this construct that we're, that we, that, that you think will work. And in fact, when you just blow the shit out of those constraints mm-hmm. just are absolutely a hundred percent you and you lead how you feel you should lead and you allow people around you to give you permission to be, you know, to cry in front of your team. As soon as I cried in front of my team, people were able to say like, God, they were able to speak to, like, it's not a coincidence that we're able to speak so much more to the human and emotional experience of a rider now that the team is given permission to be more human and more emotional. It makes you more relatable probably as well. Absolutely. Yeah. So tell our listeners what's happening now with um, NF.com and uh, what and how they can take advantage of your offerings. So we are 100% dedicated to empowering writers through online education courses with some of the best teachers in, in, in the space, in the horse world. So we, we have equestrian masterclass, which is an online education platform and you can access it for a monthly or annual price membership cost like Netflix. Mm-hmm. And it's on equestrianmasterclass.com. And you can go there and you can learn from Ian Miller and Tick Maynard and Dr. Jenny Susser and, uh, you know, Archie Cox and uh, Ann Krasinski and Missy Clark and even more. We've got a more amazing instructors coming next year and we're going to be introducing webinars and we have an amazing Facebook group for people to ask any type of question you want um, and you need. And we've got uh, so many more facets coming to the online education experience for everyone next year. So you can go to www.equestriummasterclass.com. You can also access it through noelflow.com and you can join and you can even get a free trial so you can test out, see if you like it. Um, and we offer courses all around mental training. So to tackle your anxiety or your fear around riding, and you can take courses around horsemanship, starting a young horse, working with spooky horses, everything from working around show nerves, building your perfect, you know, horse show experience with Archie Cox. You can do jumping fundamentals with Ian Miller. We've got, you know, the, our goal is to create an education, educational experience for every single type of rider and to give them the tools to be the very best rider that they can be and to pursue the goals that they have set out for themselves. So much great content and clearly very accessible. Yes. Awesome. We ask all of our guests five questions and um, they're the same for every guest. And hopefully we'll maybe bring some thought provoking answers and connection with our listeners. 
And now we've come to what some would call the very best part of the show, our segment appropriately named What's and Why's. It's where we get to ask our guests some questions that inquiring minds want to know. So without further ado, I bring you the What's and Why's for your listening pleasure. First question is, who do you look up to and why? Right now, Brene Brown, Glennon Doyle, I'd say those two right now. And right now, I look up to everyone who, in their own way, is creating just more open conversation around different types of human or horse experiences. I think like I obviously in this in for this conversation I'm I I really love to see you know Danny Goldstein creating more conversation around being your total authentic self and whatever that means mm-hmm. to you. I love Bethany Lilly and everyone who you know Urban Cowgirl, Compton Cowboys, everyone who's like creating conversation around Black Lives Matter, Sophie Goshman who's just calling the riding world out and saying like hey we can do better. Mhm. I look up to Luciana Diniz, who is like talks, you know, she's always talked openly about how much she loves her horses and she like gets horse psychics and she's just very, she's very open about how, how she leads with love in everything that she does Mm -hmm. with horses. I look up to anyone who is just putting, is facilitating that, that like open conversation. So Brene Brown, I obviously love because she's, just created so much amazing conversation around vulnerability and shame and, and, and educated me a lot. And then I, I love like Ashley Graham who creates a ton of conversation around body positivity and, and self-acceptance and self-love. So I look up to a lot and I mean, lots of women. And I think at the moment I do look up to a lot of different women. Very good. What's something that brings you joy and why? Something that brings me joy is, being with animals, any, all types of animals and being outside and being in nature. Why? Because that is something that speaks to my heart. It speaks to my soul. Like that's something that lights me up. Like just, I think being around animals has always made me just so happy. And it's, it's like, I'm able to be my total self. You know, animals give me permission. It's this. Animals give me permission to love completely and totally and not like filter mm-hmm. how much I love them. I can just love them so much and I have such a capacity to love. And I think animals just accept that love completely and totally. And so, and then being in nature, I think is, brings me joy because it's just very grounding. I feel I feel being in nature reminds us of the thing that we're part of, that this world is like so big and beautiful and we're part of that. When you look back through your life, what decision brings you the most happiness and why? Every decision I've ever made where I listen to my gut and I listen to that little voice inside my head because that little voice inside my heart, you can say it in your head, in your heart, wherever, in your stomach, <laughs> wherever it is. and. It was important because every time I listen to that little voice inside my head, every time I listen to my gut, that voice gets louder and gets stronger. What's something that you feel people get wrong about you and why? That I have all the answers. Um, That I am American. (laughs) I'm not. I'm Canadian. 
that I'm confident all the time, I'm not. And yeah, and then I have, I don't have all the answers um, or that I think I have all the answers. And that I'm a very social person. I'm, I actually, you know, I think the people that I've bonded with the most <laughs> is because I, I really love that deep, like I really love, you know, I, I learned how to work a room. I learned how to do that. And I do love being in a, in a room. But what I really like, what resonates for me, I don't really love going to parties or anything like that. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's actually how I like developed a close relationship with like Mavis Spencer, for example, is her and I bonded in Florida because we detested going to all the bougie parties. We just wanted to sit on the sofa and eat takeaway with our dogs and everyone like Missy and that's how Missy and I became friends because I was like, Oh, like just, I don't want to go to, I don't want to go to big events and like dress up. Like all I want to do is just like sit on the sofa with all these people and talk about life mm-hmm. with anim- as many animals in the room as possible. <laughs> and I think I've made all those of my favorite people in the riding world are people who like share that, mm-hmm. that feeling. If you could pick anybody in the world, who would you like to hear as a guest on this podcast and why? I would love to hear a conversation with Tick Maynard, one of our masterclass instructors. I think he is like an amazing study of horses and their minds. And whenever I listen to him, I'm just like, I think he has, he just has an amazing way of explaining how horses think and feel. And I think it's beautiful to, it's really beautiful to listen to. And he breaks things down and just explains things in like the most perfect way. I think Carl, (laughs) Carl Cook, Kaylee Cuoco, I think Lady Gaga, people who are like, they, everyone, there's like so many people who have, a connection to horses and I love when I can hear all the different ways in which horses can heal like Billie Eilish is a big rider I mean obviously I'm going to name all the big listers for you but I mean I, I think it's because people pay attention it's not because they have anything more important to say I think it's just because people pay attention and when people pay attention totally mm-hmm. it's a really it's a really cool thing to witness um, but I just love that there's unexpected lovers of horses all over the world and for all different types of reasons. I obviously love watching Kaylee's like unabashed love for animals and Mm -hmm. like completely ungated love for animals. I think that is like something her and I share and she's obviously incredibly like charming and unlovable person. I think I would love to hear I think Randy and everyone at the Compton Cowboys are an amazing group of people that are doing incredible things from a perspective that's really important right now again like horses don't see skin color you know horses have like so many different people from so many different walks of life fall in love with horses for all different reasons Mm mm-hmm even though competitive horse sport is really whitewashed a lot of the time, it doesn't necessarily mean that that's the case. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really cool that we're having conversation around all the different experiences from all the different types of all different colors of people. Cause we're like a rainbow, you know, 
Mm-hmm. The human race is like a beautiful rainbow, just like horses. You know, we're just all, we look different, we act different, we feel differently. And so I think the horse experience just reflects the human experience. And those are great words to end on. <laughs> Noel, I can't thank you enough for your time and your energy and your presence. All of those come to mind. And um, I've known you for exactly two hours, 21 minutes and 30 seconds now. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very much for giving yourself to us for today. Absolutely. Thank you for having me. It was an honor. Noelle Floyd's Equestrian Masterclass is the ultimate resource for all equestrians. Comprehensive, interactive streaming video classes from the top trainers, coaches, and experts in horse sport. Learn from Olympic riders, top grooms, trainers, judges, vets, sports psychologists, and more. Visit masterclass.noellefloyd.com to learn more. Shop now even for yourself, and give the gift of education this season. You'll forever be thankful for a few keystrokes and consideration. Visit masterclass.noelfloyd.com today to learn more. Have you ever seen branded horsewear and apparel that's beyond top quality? Ride Every Stride Inc. is your leading provider of custom equestrian products, outfitting horse, rider, and your stable with premium branded products. Be sure to look up rideeverystride.com or rescustom.com for all of your branding needs. I'd like to thank everyone for joining us for this episode of What's Your Why, our listeners, guests, and our sponsors too. It's our hope that you enjoyed your time with us and possibly gained some new perspective as well. It's said that we can learn something new every day if we just listen, and that knowledge has a beginning but no end. Thanks again for listening. Until next time, be safe, be well, and remember, always leave people better than you found them. A Twisted Spur Media Production.